Okay, so this is going to be an episode I did with Matt Ham- Hamilton, who uh, back on the uh, internet forum days would post his pink singlet. A lot of people don't know Matt, but uh, he's one of the coaches of Bryce Mitchell at uh, Westside uh, uh, MMA and Jiu-Jitsu in uh, Arkansas, along with Roly Delgado, who has also uh, been on this show. Um, I'll be uploading his episode soon. And uh, so we talked about uh, some of the good and bad experiences he had competing. We talked more about Bryce Mitchell and kind of what's made him successful. And uh, just about a lot of the old school MMA stuff. A lot of these interviews that I've been uploading lately are old school uh, uh, characters. And, uh, you know, great interview. I enjoyed talking. I like talking with these people who uh, were around the sport but maybe uh, aren't common to people today. And uh, I think Matt might be one of those people so check it out this is matt hamilton from arkansas okay so this is todd atkins and i'm here with matt hamilton one of the guys who really got into the sport pretty early after the ufc first started i i first saw him in 1999 i believe it was in hawaii and maybe kind of for people that aren't familiar with you kind of introduce yourself a little bit yeah, man, you know, I'm not too good at that because I, I kind of feel like in today's social media age, everybody's more of a nobody than they'd like to, you know, be. Everybody thinks they're a little more important than they are. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm one of the co-owners of Westside MMA. Uh, like you said, I had my first fight probably shortly after the UFC got started. It, I had a few amateur fights, and then I made my pro debut out in Hawaii. Um, man, Todd, you're going to have to, you know, one of the things with finding out how old we are, I'm not wearing glasses, which I probably should be. So I'm going to move this phone a little bit away from my face so I can actually see it. So it's going to make me look even smaller than I am. So, um, yeah, but you know, I've had a few fights, probably won some fights that I shouldn't have won and lost a few that I'd like to hope that I shouldn't have lost. And, you know, at least folks thought I could fight for a little bit. Now, how did you end up debuting in Hawaii? I mean, Super Brawl of all things. Yeah, so um, there was, you know, back in the day, you know, about the only MMA news you could get was the old Full Contact Fighter, you know, website and newsletter. And uh, I saw a thing I'd had about, I don't know, about three or four amateur fights, just real local stuff. And I saw this – advertisement that um extreme challenge and super brawl and man i'll be honest with you i actually forget the name of a couple of the other shows i think one of them was based out of like amarillo texas or somewhere like where evan tanner came up with and and i forget what even the name of it was but uh they were kind of getting together and doing these uh these qualifying tournaments to then have uh this extreme challenge that Monty Cox was putting on, they were doing an amateur national championship. So I was young and dumb at the time. And I thought, man, you mean a weight class at 135? Nobody in the world can beat me in my own weight class. I I really was naive enough to think that. And uh, Super Brawl was doing a qualifier in El Paso, Texas. So, man, I bought a plane ticket and went to El Paso, Texas to fight. And uh, I ended up 
nobody else showed up at the 135 division. And then uh, one other guy showed up for 155. So I fought him and beat him, got to go to this national championship up in uh, Davenport, Iowa, ended up winning that tournament. And at the end of the night, they were giving out, you know, part of the, the thing of just the, the prize for winning was you would get a pro contract or a pro fight. And there was, you know, Extreme Challenge, Super Brawl, like I said, the other show that I forgot the name of, which was I think in in El pa or not El Paso, uh, I forgot, I forgot. Anyway, and then there was another one that was out of uh, of Indianapolis. Well, they drew names for each of the uh, guys that won the division, and me and I forgot who else. We got first pick, so of course we picked Hawaii. So got to go to Hawaii. So it was just you know a couple of fights and some dumb luck to win a draw. Now kind of talk about you come to Hawaii and you're kind of dealing with Super Brawl. How was that, like the trip over and all that stuff? You know, it was really interesting. It, it was a, it was a, first off, it was a great opportunity because I got to take my parents with me and got to fight in Blaisdell Arena in front of, you know, pushing 20,000 people. It, you know, that was a really cool experience. But – you know, I'm training for this fight in Arkansas with, you know, very few training partners. Um, I'm doing the best I can. And I'm supposed to be getting ready to fight my, my first time to ever fight somebody officially that weighs 135 pounds. So I'm stoked. I'm like, I'm Godzilla heading towards Japan. I'm fixing to destroy anybody at this weight. Well, I get a call from uh, JT, hey, what do you think about uh, – or TJ, excuse me. Uh, TJ, hey, instead of this one fight at 135, what if you do a uh, four-man 155 tournament? I was like, well, okay, whatever. And then about a week before I'm getting on the, on the flight, hey, instead of uh, a, a four-man 155 tournament, what if we do an eight-man 155 tournament? I was like, well, shit. You know, shit, yeah, whatever, okay. And then, of course, I get out there and I start seeing what really big 155ers look like. You know, I, I won my first fight, and then the next fight was Ryan Bowe, and he was – Ryan's a super nice guy, but he wasn't at weigh-in. I don't know what that guy weighed, but he looked like he was 175 pounds, and probably by fight time he was, but – you know, he just, you know, I was, I remember looking at him at the, at the little stare down before the fight thinking, what the hell have I gotten myself into, man? This guy's humongous, you know? So, uh, he ended up beating me and then won the whole thing. So, uh, but it I mean, what a great opportunity to get to go to Hawaii fighting such a beautiful arena, uh, you know, a beautiful state, just a beautiful part of the world. I got to see Don Ho with my parents. You know, it was – man, it was, a, it was a great experience, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It was fun. Yeah, I think the first fight you have was Dan Ogbayani, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it's so funny. Ryan actually sent me a, a video of the event, and I, I talked to Ryan on Facebook a, a months back, and he sent me the event, and I was just like, 
man, I, I really couldn't fight. You know, it's like I, in my mind, I remember, you know, man, I was a tough guy, you know, had a good gas tank and a pretty hard head. But, man, I just looked back and I realized, man, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I, I, was, I was tough and I knew probably blue belt jiu-jitsu. And that was it, you know. And, uh, and so, yeah, when I watched that fight, I, you know, there were certain parts of it that kind of went the way I thought they were or, or thought that they did. But, man, I was just like, holy shit, I didn't know what I was doing. So, I mean, looking back on those experiences, you know, besides obviously being in Hawaii and seeing Don Ho and things like that, but maybe what were some of the things you learned from that first experience? Well, you know, I, I learned that I, I really did enjoy fighting in front of a lot of people. Um, that was real fun. You know, I had never fought in anything close to the Blaisdell Arena. And uh, it, it was really fun to kind of get to fight one of their hometown guys. I, I got to fight, you know, as the, as the out-of-town spoiler before, but it was always in front of a few hundred people. It was amazing to do it in front of, you know, well over 10,000. Um, and it was nice to get out there and, and kind of see, you know, some of the big-time people. You know, Pat Militech was out there. Um, it was a funny – and I love Pat Militech. He's a pioneer, great fighter, always been super nice when I see him at the LFA shows. But I do have a, a funny story on Pat. We were out there at the uh, – at, at Super Brawl. And, of course, I would mentioned full contact fighter earlier. Joe Gold was, was there. And this was sometime the week before the fight. And we were at one of these 24-hour fitness places, and we were just working out. And I was working out with a guy, and I had just learned this, uh, what everybody calls the hitchhiker armbar escape now. And, uh, you know, it's where you get armbarred, you turn your thumb like you're doing the, you know, kind of the hitchhiker motion, and you roll out of it and go to side control. Well, I did it on one of Pat's guys, and the guy was like, oh, man, that, how did you do that, you know? And uh, Joe was like, well, man, you know, I, I'd like to make that, uh, you know, our technique of the month and put it in the magazine. And I was thinking, hell, yeah, man. I, little old me from, from Arkansas is about to get an article in Full Contact Fighter magazine. And Pat goes, oh, yeah, man, we do that at our gym all the time. Let me show you. And he ended up with it in technique of the, of the month. And I was like, <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah, as if he wasn't getting exposure already. He had to take it. Yeah, I was like, Pat, throw me a bone, man. Yeah. Joel's still around. You know, he puts stuff out on Instagram. And that, that footage he has, it still holds up today. You know, he's, he's always putting a lot of his old school stuff out there. And it's, it's still quality, man. Yeah, man, you know, it, it's so funny. I was telling some of the, the younger crop at the gym, I, I was telling them, I was like, you guys don't understand why I'm so, like, frustrated by you taking selfies and, and putting stuff on Instagram and this, that, and the other. It, I was like, man, in my day, if you wanted to get anything like that, you wanted any kind of, uh, you know, fight news, it was literally that, like, every i don't know how often it came out but it was the vhs the 
you know, the full contact fighter VHS tape that you would get and, you know, watch little interviews and snippets from the fights. And, you know, man, what, what a cool time to be around the sport. You know, I, I tell people, I wouldn't trade it. I mean, I wish that I was coming up and I was younger now and could take advantage of all the stuff, all the, all the information, all the good training, but man, I wouldn't trade the, uh, the coming up in that wild, wild west era of things. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So kind of tell me about some of your other experience you had in fighting. Cause I mean, that those are the fights I saw. It was hard to see fights back then. I mean, uh, people probably don't realize, but people that listen to my show know that it was hard to see other events, but maybe talk about some of the other fights you had or just in general, not, you don't have to get heavy into each one, but. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a really good time fighting. Uh, you know, the, the shows that I got to fight on were, of course, you know, Super Brawl. I got to fight twice there. Um, Extreme Challenge, which Monty Cox was putting on. Uh, got to win that tournament. Um, you know, and that was something that I was really proud of is I was involved in three MMA tournaments back in the day and won two of them. So, you know, that's something to me coming up being a big Igor Volchanchin fan to me, just the greatest thing is to win a tournament, you know? So I was happy about that. Um, I got to fight in AFC, which is the show that American top team was putting on back in the day to kind of push their guys. And uh, I had a great time doing that. Um, probably the biggest show that I fought on was, uh, was uh, Shudo in Japan. And I hated that. It, it was it was the it was right up there with the one of the worst experiences of uh, in fighting. And and it was just because it was uh, a combination of a lot of things. One, they got me over. First off, you know, like you said, you you, you couldn't get a bead on any of the guys you were fighting. You couldn't see tapes. Well they, as a courtesy, sent me tapes of the guy that I was going to fight. Well, they sent me a tape of his uh, of a fight where he just starched this guy with a knockout. Well, come to find out, he'd never knocked out anybody else in his life. You know, it was just – and so I've spent the whole training camp, you know, thinking I was fighting Mike Tyson, and uh, he was more of a grappler. So, So that part sucked. The other part that sucked was is they were supposed to get me out there a week early. Well, I get a phone call that says, hey, you know, things have changed. We're going to fly you out on Thursday. So I fly to Japan on Thursday, have to make weight on Friday, and they converted the pounds to kilograms. So I was used – I wasn't a good weight cutter anyway. But instead of having to cut to 35, I had to cut to 32 to make up for the damn pound conversion. I had no sauna, nothing. And so I've got to make the weight. Then on top of that, I get ready to fight. I'm so jet lagged. I'm almost nauseous. And I, I put on my singlet, you know, hell, I was kind of famous, you know, quasi for wearing the pink singlet. I'm getting ready to walk out. And the guy comes in, oh, you know, wear a costume. No can fight in costume. And I'm like, what do you mean I can't fight in a costume? He's like, no, 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 no fighting costume. So I was like, well, I don't have anything else to wear. 
And uh, so they end up taking a pair of sweaty, nasty fight trunks off of a guy that just got knocked out, put me in them, and marched me right out to fight. And it was it was a mess. It, it just it was awful, and I hated it, and I couldn't wait to get home. Yeah, I mean, Chuto had a good reputation, but, you know, sometimes that's the kind of stuff that could happen, especially back then early. You know, a lot of guys would show up and have no corner. I mean, I just talked to Dean Thomas. Who, he said his first time he fought there, he had no corner, man. He was by himself. And Ryan ended up cornering him, actually, because oh. you know, Ryan lived there. And I lived there from 2002 to 2005. So Ryan, you know, I hung out with him a lot, but. Yeah, he cornered Dean Thomas the first time he fought because he just happened to be there. Yeah, it, it, it was really weird. It was a weird experience. You know, I'm a tiny person. You know, I'm a small guy. And everything over in Japan is like two inches shorter. And and when people ask me, you know, man, what's it like in, in Japan? I told them, you're not going to appreciate what I'm about to tell you unless you go there. You're you're in Tokyo, and at least I was I was shocked at how many Asian people were there. It's like you go to a big city, New York, Sao Paulo, Rio, you see black people, white people, Asian people, Indian people. When I was in Japan, it was me and everybody else was Asian, it, and it was just it was almost shocking to see such a homogenous group of people it was it was bizarre and there's there's nothing's in english you know my who the lady that came and got us from the uh from the uh airport first off we went down into a subway and we popped up and when we popped up we didn't know where the hell we were at nothing's in english and she was like i'll come back and get you to go to go way in it, it, it was just, it, I wish I would have won and could have felt some of that Japanese love that was, you know, it's kind of their legendary for, you know, when you win, they love you. But, you know, I, I performed like shit. I was treated like shit and I went home like a piece of shit, you know? So uh, it, it was fun. I'm glad I got to do it, but I never wanted to go back. Yeah. I was on that was almost like a blood sport experience, you know, or they just kind of, yeah, exactly. you're, on your, you're on your own, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and luckily I got to experience that just like you said, blood sport. And in 2000, I got to go compete in Abu Dhabi, which was just like blood sport. So, you know, I got to have some really cool adventures in the martial arts. So, I, I've got nothing to complain about. I had a great time. Now, you know, I was talking to Roly the other day, and I, when he mentioned that you were his business partner, I was like, what? That guy's still around? You know, like, I didn't even know. So how did you how did you end up catching up with him in, in that project? Well, you know, Roly was my student for a while. He came in and started training with me when I was kind of starting to get going as, as, a, uh, as a pro. Uh, Roly came in, he was about 15 or 16 years old and, uh, man, what, what a, uh, testament to stick to itiveness. You know, when Roly first got started, he was terrible. I mean, it, but you know, we used to make jokes about how bad he was and how he still wanted to train with the guys that were good, but 
he was terrible. But, man, over the years, he got so good and got to where, you know, he, he far surpassed me. And, and uh, he, you know, he was just great. Well, uh, I was teaching at a taekwondo school, and, and Roley, like I said, was a, was a student there. And we had fought together some and, you know, kind of developed a friendship. And we were out at a bar one night and I said, you know, man, I, I think I'm going to quit and I'm going to open my own gym. I was like, the problem is, man, it's like I ain't getting paid nothing. I was like, I ain't got no money. You know, I, I don't have any money to open a gym. And uh, he was just like, man, I'd invest in you. You know, he was, he was working a real job and I was being the karate bum. And, uh, he's like, well, I'd invest in you. And I was like, well, you know, and we just kind of started talking and, and, you know, things just kind of snowballed. Next thing you know, we opened up a gym and within a couple of years, Rolly quit his job and was teaching at the gym. You know, when we started it, I was teaching full time and, uh, you know, within a few years, you know, like I said, he had quit his job and Westside MMA just kind of took off. And what year was that? That was 2006. And, uh, man, it was a, it was a rough week. You know, I, uh, I quit my job at the Taekwondo school. I closed on a house and we opened the gym all in one week. And uh, it was a stressful damn week. Yeah, but that's something you can do in Arkansas. You probably couldn't have closed in, you know, some of these other places. Yeah, man. You know, and, and that's the thing, too, is with all the traveling that I, I'm so thankful, you know, without fighting, I wouldn't have seen the world. Thanks to fighting, you know, I mean, I've been to Abu Dhabi. I've been to England. I've been to Germany, Brazil, Japan, you know, Hawaii, all over the world. And, uh, I know it, it will sound crazy to most people, but man, I'm I'm always glad to get back home, man. I love Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, you probably couldn't have closed on a house, is what I'm saying, because of the house prices. You know, like oh yeah, Arkansas. That's somewhere where you could close on a house and open a gym and be able to do it. You know, folks don't understand when when they see the the house prices in Arkansas. You know, it's uh people that are buying houses for like a quarter of a million dollars. You, if you get a house in Arkansas, it's a quarter of a million. You're in a big damn house in a nice house in a nice neighborhood, you know, or you're out in the country with a shit ton of land. So, you know, what students did you have? I mean, you have Bryce Mitchell now in the UFC, but you know, you started in 2006. Did you have any other people that were, that you kind of remember? Yeah, I do. You know, when, when we opened, we started the gym with about 20 students. And, and they were mainly students that, you know, when I left the other gym, I was teaching the majority of the classes and, you know, the, the most of the fighters and stuff came with me. And uh, this is the name you'll probably remember as a blast from the past. Do you remember Seth Kleinbeck? No, I don't recall him. Okay, well, Seth – guy uh he was kind of hot there for just a little bit he uh and then injuries just ate him up he uh he had gotten an offer to fight in the UFC and we turned it down because he was dropping to middleweight they gave him a uh, 
an offer to fight Alessio Sakara back in the day at light heavy. And in retrospect, we probably should have took that fight because Sakara looked like crap and got knocked out in that fight. But uh, we turned that down, and then Seth ended up fighting on uh, Elite XC and won a couple of fights there and uh, then lost a fight, got, caught a real nasty cut fight. No, uh, Kyle Noak out of Australia. Um, they had a good fight going, and, and Kyle landed a really – nasty elbow that that got the fight stopped um but uh but yeah seth was was like the first big time person out of arkansas to hit it big uh you know for the time and uh and then roley shortly after we opened went to the ultimate fighter and uh and uh you know i felt bad for roley on the ultimate fighter he didn't look First off, the show was edited to make him look like a jackass, and and that's not the case. And uh, and then you know, man, what a uh, what a a weird situation to be out there in in you know all the fights Rolly had in the Ultimate Fighter. They were close enough that he needed a good corner man, and and he could have won those fights with some small adjustments. And uh, it's not like Noguera is not a great MMA mind, but, you know, when your corner doesn't really speak English, <laughs> you know, it's like you've got Minotaro Noguera, you've got Anderson Silva, you've got some of the highest fight IQs in the world in your corner, and they don't really speak English, you know. So, you know, really had a, a, a rough uh, a rough hand that was dealt to him on the Ultimate Fighter. And, uh, and then we had a, another few uh, – few guys that, that could fight a guy, Mark Wiggins, who was just on a, the local level. He went like five and one as a pro. And, but, you know, the, the bread and butter for our gyms has always been just professional people that want to train and, and don't really want to fight. So, you know, that, that's what allowed us to do this for a living and not just, kind of be a flash in the pan and train a few fighters and then end up getting real jobs and growing up like normal folks. So tell me about when Bryce Mitchell comes along. I mean, I talked to Rolly about this a little bit, but I'd like to hear your insight on what you remember when you first saw him. Well, you know, when, when I first met Bryce, it's been years and years ago. It, you know, I didn't think anything – that out of the ordinary other hey man this kid's tough you know he's he's a tough kid um as the years went on you're like you know as i remember bryce had a pretty long amateur career and i kept thinking man sometime this kid ought to go pro he's pretty damn good and his coach just you know kept having reasons not to turn him pro but uh and, and of course you know those guys were 45 minutes away from us so wasn't really my concern uh but as the years went on then Bryce turned pro and you know he we would see him more and more often he would come by the gym to cross train and stuff like that and you start kind of going man he's not just a tough kid he's getting really damn good you know and uh and it's funny because I can't say this about anybody else that I can think of. 
but I can actually remember the last time I tapped Bryce out. I can remember where it was, what the circumstances were, and I remember it because, you know, it's never even gotten close to happening again. And, and uh, you know, and over the years, you know, Bryce's coach kind of got out of the game. He still goes to the UFC with Bryce and coaches him and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, Bryce comes in up at, up at West side. He's, he, he's literally like a, a, uh, like a savant, you know, he, he does things that are, if anybody else trained with some of the ways that Bryce trains, you would be just telling them, don't do that. That that's silly. But Bryce makes it work. And when you ask him why he does something, he's got a reason for it. You know, I mean, he's just, he's a, uh, he's like a savant with, uh, with technique when he sees something, it's a part of his game. You know, he, he's really, it's almost like somebody that can read music or, you know, play music by ear. You know, he, uh, he sees something and it's his and, uh, he's got this really bizarre, it's, it's almost like a, you know how you were when you were a, a 16, 17 year old kid, you would do stupid stuff. And it was because you just didn't know any better and you didn't fear things, you know, like when I was a kid, there's some cliffs over here at, at a lake that they've since blocked off because people were getting hurt. But I would jump off those cliffs because I was young and dumb and didn't know any better. And now with, with wisdom of age and not having the T levels probably anymore, there's no way I'd jump off of them. And, and that's kind of what Bryce is like. Bryce doesn't, he's not afraid of anything. He's not afraid to try stuff. He just, uh, and, and it probably comes that comes down to belief in self, self-confidence that, that he can do that. But uh, yeah, he's just, he's got the best mindset of any, uh, any fighter I've been around. Bryce has the best mindset. And uh, you add that in with what I almost think of, like I said, like a savant type, ability to uh to pick up technique and he, he's special man he, he's really special now he's able to make ground fights work you know like he's almost you like the fighters we saw back yeah. back when you were started fighting where guys that was their strategy they were going to get it there sooner or later and make it work but now we really aren't seeing that a lot it's almost like he's unique you know, in a way. Yeah. And isn't that strange? You know, uh, it, it went from all the grapplers wanted to get just enough stand up so that they could look comfortable on their feet. And then it kind of turned into now everybody's trying to become a kickboxer. And, uh, the, the odd thing about Bryce is, is he's actually got good stand up. It's just as unorthodox as his grappling is but it's really good. And uh, Bryce just gets fights on the ground because he's just told me before, man, I'm not that smart. I don't want to get any head trauma and be, be less smart. You know, that's just the easiest way. 
you know, Bryce is almost kind of like a Floyd Mayweather. He, he's out there to win fights, not take damage, and get paid. And, and he's really good at it. But why do you think we're seeing less and less of that? You know, why is he able to make this work and other guys just don't want to? Or I mean, I know the Khabibs, the Dagestanis still have that right. in them. But most American fighters don't have it in them anymore to do it. You, you know what? That's something I was talking to my boxing coach about. I, I, work, uh, I work cuts for – the main guy that I work cuts for is a guy, Calvin Henderson. He's an up-and-coming uh, super middleweight. He's undefeated right now. And on some of these road trips, you know, we were kind of talking about MMA fighters versus boxers and stuff. And, and part of what I think leads to what you were talking about is, is there's a lot of fighters. And I try to weed it out of the fighters that I work with. But a lot of MMA guys, have, they approach the sport almost like an extreme sport, like snowboarding or skateboarding or something they're in it for the adrenaline, you know, and I tell my guys under absolutely no circumstances, do I want you trying to win fight of the night bonuses? Cause fight of the night just means neither one of you two has any defense. You beat the shit out of each other. That that's not what we're here to do. We're here to hit, not get hit and win fights. And uh, I think so many of these guys, you know, like, Look at how many fighters you see nowadays that when they, they have an interview with them, oh, man, you know, I don't care if I win and win or lose. I just want to go out there and put on a show for the fans. Well, hell, if, that, if that's what you want to do, that, you know, that's, that's fine. But that's not the way I want to coach guys. And, uh, and Bryce has taken that to heart. Like I've, I've seen Bryce get out and, and get to spar in hard rounds in the gym. And Bryce is in no way a quitter, not at all. He, he can go for days. But if he's getting hit too much, he'll just go, hey, coach, I'm getting hit too much. I'm going to go grapple now. You know, he just – he's got that mindset that he's here to finish you, take very little damage, and, and, and move on, where I think so many of these other people, they just – they want to be exciting. And what's great about Bryce is he's found a way to do both. I mean – He's very exciting, even when he's not getting, you know, he hasn't gotten hit that much in any of his UFC fights. And he's exciting as hell. But, I mean, you see some wrestlers that maybe are more, they're more accomplished than Bryce. But yeah. if the takedown doesn't work once, maybe twice, they're done trying it. You know, and, and that I, that is something that I do not understand. You know what? Let me take that back, Todd. I, I think I do understand it. You know, when you see on social media, one of the things that, that I see as a coach that sometimes starts to bother is not the right word, but I, I see it as a problem, is you'll see people, man, I got to be growing. I got to be growing. You know, if you're not growing, you're dead. If you're stagnant, you're dead. Well, that's all well and good, but sometimes you got to dance with who brung you. You know, it's like if, if I'm an all-American wrestler and I find out I've got a big right hand, okay, throw it a few times, but, man, let's get back to wrestling. Let's remember what got us here. And, uh, and I think a lot of these guys, man, they just – they want 
to, they want to grow. Like I remember when I first started learning some wrestling, uh, I, I had fights where I would take people down with a double and then just lay chest to chest on them and win a decision. When I look back and go, man, I could have submitted that guy in two minutes. You know, when someone is growing, they tend to – you can usually see it in their fight. You know, I could look back in my fights and say, okay, I was working at a boxing gym more here. I was working my wrestling here. And, and I think what happens is you get some of these guys that, that are very good wrestlers. Now, sometimes you just get two wrestlers, two guys that are really good at takedowns and takedown defense and it forces a stand-up fight, and that's a different situation. But I think a lot of these guys, they, they want to grow, and they want to show that, that, that their skill set is, is getting more well-rounded, and they're more concerned about being well-rounded and being uh, having this diverse skill set that they kind of forget about their strengths, you know. And, and I think more of the, the high-level wrestlers, you know, I'm not Tyron Woodley's coach, but I got a funny feeling he would have probably been better, especially towards the end of his career, if he was getting back to getting back to what got him here in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing it across the board with the exception of the Dagestanis and, and guys mm -hmm. like Bryce. You really aren't seeing it very much from other there's there's a few outliers, but it seems to be a pattern. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the thing is, too, with Bryce is you've got to have a certain level of gas tank to make that type of style work. Um, now, of course, depending on how, how you're wired, it could take more out of you to, to get out there and fake some stand-up a little bit. But uh, Bryce has a phenomenal, phenomenal gas tank, you know, and, and he's, he's deceptively strong and with the long arms. I mean, He's built – everything about Bryce is built for how he likes to fight. You know, it's – if he didn't have arms as long as he's got, if he didn't have that crazy gas, gas tank, maybe that style wouldn't work for him. But what's special is his mindset and his body. They fit together perfectly, and, and that's what allows him to be so special. You know, when I was coming up, I was really aggressive, but, hell, I didn't have any knockout power. You know, it's like all the things I like to do, my body, you know, with the exception of as a young man had a good gas tank, you know, there was nothing special about me. With Bryce, it all comes together. and You know, he, he really could be a UFC champion, absolutely. Now – he he doesn't have any bouts signed at the moment, does he? You know, I don't think so. I, it, let me be very clear. I'm not Bryce's manager. Mm -hmm. Roley coaches him more than anybody at the gym. The extent of my coaching to Bryce Mitchell is, is he'll come up to me in the gym and go, hey, Coach Matt, what do you think of this? And I'll either go, man, that's awesome, or I don't know about all that, man. And, you know, Bryce is super respectful to me, but I would be, I would be lying if I said I had anything to do with his, his success and his awesomeness. Yeah, so you don't know when he's fighting next or anything, right? They haven't, I don't think they have any – I haven't heard any news. You know, he broke that, that, uh, that first metacarpal 
in his last fight. So he's still recovering from that. Um, so I, I don't think he's even looking right now for uh, – he, he's been the last few weeks, he's been getting back in the gym a lot more and, and he's been training a lot more. So uh, I don't know what's in store for him. Because I know Roley was saying something like he prefers to take six months in between fights, which, again, is a little unique. It, you know, man. Yeah. Yeah, dude, he's so weird about that. It's like I, I don't know, like, you know, like that Charles Rosa fight he had. He could have fought the next weekend. And I don't know why he doesn't want to, but he just – he doesn't want to. And if, you know, if Dana called him up and said, hey, man, we're going to give you a title fight in Dubai – are you ready to get on the plane? He'll go, no, I don't want to fly over there. Let me know if you want to do it in Vegas, if you want to do it in Memphis, but, yeah, I don't want to. And he really doesn't care. He – man, Bryce is – what's so funny about Bryce is, is that character that you see is him. You know, all the stuff you see where he's screaming about Arkansas and, and saying just these most bizarre things, None of that is a show. That is all Bryce. It is he is just an interesting person. So, you know, looking at some of the other guys, I mean, not without naming any of the athletes, but you feel like he matches up well with everybody that's kind of, you know, in the mix as far as the title contenders go. I I do because, you know, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what you do you're going to play Bryce's game. It doesn't matter if you're the best kickboxer in the world. It doesn't matter if you're the best wrestler in the world. It doesn't matter. When you fight Bryce Mitchell, you fight Bryce's game. And he's had off nights. I mean, we all can. But, you know, man, when you fight Bryce, you're going to do – you're going to fight the fight Bryce wants to fight. So – it, it really doesn't matter what the other person's skill set is. Now, maybe talk about, you know, some of his training at the gym. I know Roley was mentioning that a lot of times he trains people that are maybe a lot less experienced than him, and he just kind of does his own thing. You know, he's not really taking classes and things. He just kind of comes in there and does his work, so to speak. Dude, Bryce will spar. You know, Bryce will spar, but – 90% of Bryce's training is he's got one 55, 60-year-old man that he grapples with. And when it's time to work his stand-up, he'll have Roley hold a karate kicking shield, every now and then some tie pads, and that's it. I always tell – I tell all the up-and-coming folks at the gym, Watch Bryce, appreciate Bryce, train with Bryce whenever you can. But he ain't good because of what he's doing. He's just special like that. You know, he, he only rolls with one guy. I'd say about 90% of Bryce's training is with an, with an old guy, Danny G. He's about 55, 60 years old, about 120 pounds soaking wet. And – they grapple for hours at a time. And about every time you look over there, Bryce is twisting him. But, you know, it's like Bryce is getting 
you know, a thousand hours of twistering somebody. I mean, how can you get that much work in? And, you know, and Danny loves it. Him and Bryce are best buddies. They fish and Bryce mauls him for, you know, and man, it works. It works for him. It works for him, man. You know, and I've told some of the up and comers, I was like, hey, maybe you need to go find you a Danny G. Just go snatch you up some older white belt and just start mauling them for hours at a time. And man, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is the way to do it, you know? So. So they aren't related or anything. It's just a buddy of his or somebody he met at the gym. Just a guy he met at the gym, man. Dude, Bryce is, when I say Bryce is special, I, I mean special in every way you can think of the word, man. Yeah, it just seem, it seems interesting. I mean, how do you deal with that? I mean, I was asking, how do you deal with that as a coach? Other guys are probably watching him and saying, I want to only roll. Why, why should I do these classes? You know, why should you know, I do it, all these techniques? I, I think that everybody that's at the gym gets a feel for the fact that there's something not right with Bryce. You know, it's like, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all, but they can all tell that there's something special there and that his way is not the way. It's the way for him, you know, because, you know, it's like some of these, like a Mozart or something that's composing symphonies at three years old. Well, most people that are going to be good at music need to go take music class and learn to read music and stuff like that. But man, some people have just got that, that it and Bryce has got it whatever it is he's got it and most people couldn't train the way he trains but it, it, it's so bizarre that you know he can do that but that 10% of the time that he jumps in and goes with everybody else I mean Bryce can be in our gym and we can have a world champion jiu-jitsu player world champion nogi guy and Bryce can jump on them and they'll quit before he does i mean if they do tap him out let's go again let's go again let's go again and he's just yeah man when you talk about bryce you're gonna keep saying special and until it's you know it's cliche but man he's just a different breed man but where's he get the stamina if he's just rolling with one guy or man it's just he loves doing it, you know. It's like, wh where does a dog get its speed? You know, it's just it's what he is, you know. And and that's what I was trying to explain earlier is, he, uh, his body and his brain, they just all, they all mesh, man. It's just it's the way it's supposed to be, you know. I, I, I can't explain the kid. But but when he wins the world title, I'll be. Oh yeah, he came up at Westside. We taught him everything, you know. I'll I'll steal it and try and make a few dollars <laughs> off of it. But but no, I have no idea. He's just special. Now maybe talk about what you're seeing in MMA as someone who fought as early, you know, in the late nineties to what you're seeing now. Maybe just your overall thoughts on how things have changed or maybe some things that bug you or whatever the case may be. Well, uh, you know, as far as what what I see is uh, you know, you could tell it 
back when I was starting to get out of fighting is, is we all knew the athletes were coming, you know, when, when I was fighting, it was the, you know, the tough guys and the, the guys like me who went to the suburban karate schools and got to learn some jujitsu and were too tough to be doing point karate. Um, and then at towards the end of my career was you started seeing the, the D one athletes, the guys that, you know, were wrestling, the guys that weren't making it in football and, and those guys were creeping in. And uh, some of the folks that maybe were not quite as good in boxing. So they start creeping over and next thing, you know, you've got a lot of high level athletes in the game and, and they're here now. So that's going to, make it always harder for just the the tough hard nose guy to to get by you know and it's that way in every sport you know you've you've got your your tough guy that works hard and once in a while we we do good but it's that athlete that wants to to dedicate themselves that that tend to rule the roost um so, so that's that's now not coming that's here um i don't really like some of the uh you know i don't like the rules i like the old rules where it was you know you'd fight a 10 minute round maybe a five minute overtime you know one 15 minute round i i think that was a better mousetrap for an mma fight than than the uh than the rounds like we have them now um you know, but man, it's great. It's great that there's this many fights. You know, I I look back, man, I've got, I've got guys coming up now that in a year can get more fights that it, than it would take me three or four years to get, you know, the only reason I had so, so many fights and I didn't have that many. The only reason I got the ones that I did was because of the tournaments that I was able to fight that happened on one night, you know, it was just, there just weren't that many shows. And now, hell, you can have a month where there's four shows in Arkansas. So um, that is, is great. Um, and, and I guess the only other thing that, that I would say that it's kind of been weighing on my mind recently uh, because we've been at the gym, we've been having more of a of – a, taking more of a, a, an active role in USA Boxing. I wish – that the MMA amateurs would approach the fighting more like the boxers do. You know, we got amateurs in MMA that are, you know, out trying to get sponsors. They're, they're, they're making promo videos. They're, they're doing all this stuff like they're pros. And it's like, man, just focus on fighting. You know, you get amateur boxers may fight three, four times in a weekend at a tournament, you know, they'll fight every weekend during the season. And man, they're worried about getting better. And we've got MMA guys lose one amateur fight and they're feeling like they're crushed, like they've lost their chance. And it's just like, man, you know, you're, you're out here trying to perfect your craft or you're just doing something to get an adrenaline rush. You shouldn't be beating yourself up and killing yourself over, over losing an amateur fight so uh so yeah everything is is uh is positive as far as what i see in the sport man it's 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 great but i think those things are are 
what I would consider not so great about it. Now, who are some of the fighters that, that you're paying attention to or that you have paid attention to in the recent time? Man, you know, that's, that's uh, a funny question because I, I'll get people asking me, hey, you know, what do you think of so-and-so? And I'm like, man, I don't even know who that is. I, I'm honestly taught, man, I, I really like uh, – the only people I really focus on are my guys because I'm passionate about the fight. I'm not really that passionate about the sport because the sport is it's kind of different. Now, you remember what it was back in the day. It was – and I'm trying to not be just too much of an old fuddy-dud, but, man, I liked it back when not everybody did it. When when guys like you and, you know, Jeff Osborne, Miguel, all everybody knew everybody, and, and it was – man it was just it was a cool time back then and I you know now it's it's one of those things man it's almost so big and it's so mainstream that uh you know and, and now all that being said who do I like you know I think the last fighter that I was really like a geeky fanboy of was GSP I mean I just appreciated everything he does uh, or did um and as far as now you know i don't know man anybody i that i you know hell i was a big frankie edgar fan well now just when he fights he's just a shell he just gets beat up so i don't even want to watch him fight anymore i'm just man i'm really more focused on just the guys that i'm bringing up and and they're you know, their journey as fighters and, and, and as human beings. And, uh, and that's what's most important to me. So I know it's kind of a, kind of a cop out on who I like, but, but that's just kind of the truth. I was kind of winding down the interview here. I was wondering if you had anything that maybe we didn't talk about or something that you wanted people to know about or something that was important to you, maybe something martial arts related. Cool man, that's put me on the spot. You know, I I don't know. It, it's uh, I've I come from a weird time when, like, you just didn't volunteer a lot of information, which is is very different than it is now. You know, everybody's wanting to do a a live video and tell you how they think and what they think about something, and and so I just always had that assumption of man, if anybody wants my opinion, they'll ask. So I you know I don't really try and say too much um you know I, I i guess the answer is you know it's a pretty boring answer but no man i you know if somebody's got something they want to ask me they can always ask me i don't have you know i just don't really think that many people care about just random my random thoughts on anything <laughs> you know i just i uh hell, you know, I think everybody's martial arts journey is their own, you know, everybody's black belt means something different. Everybody's fight career means something different. Everybody's, you know, kind of like we talked about Bryce, everybody's training means something different. And, uh, you know, man, just everybody's kind of in life, got to get out there and figure out what works for them and just be happy. I know my martial arts journey's made me real happy. It's allowed me to you know, go a lot of places, meet a lot of good people and, uh, and help a lot of people out. 
all while not getting a nine to five job. And so shit, man, I'm, I'm as happy as I can be for a person that's got punched in the face for a living. Well, Matt, it was great talking to you, man. You know, part of me doing these shows is I want to kind of connect people from that are into the sport now to people that were there in the scene when it was coming up. So, you know, I'm always happy when I can talk to somebody like you and, you know, I just really appreciate taking the time. Hey man, I really appreciate you asking me. It's nice. Uh, you know, when you own a gym that's got, you know, over 400 people that, that train there and every now and then people ask me, Hey coach, have you ever fought? And you know, it's nice that somebody actually remembers it from time to time. So, uh, you know, it, it put a smile on my face when you asked. So I hope it was uh, not too boring and, uh, and shit, man, anytime I can ever be of any help, man, just let me know. Yeah, I appreciate it. Maybe we can catch up after Bryce fights again or something. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Just give me a shout. All right, man. I appreciate it. Take care. Uh, take care, Todd. Good talking to you. Right, so as far as the following Matt goes, he's not too active on social media, but if you can find him on Facebook, I mean, Matt Hamilton's a pretty common name, so you might have a hard time finding him, but uh, that's where you would find him if you want to communicate with him. And uh, again, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at the underscore Todd underscore Atkins underscore show. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is Todd Atkins show. My TikTok, same Todd Atkins show. And please subscribe to this podcast if you want to support it. And uh, as always, thank you for the support and stay tuned for more episodes coming.